Greetings. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. Our special guest today is Dr. Barbara Mainville. After 30 years working in an emergency room and 30 years as a coroner for the province of Ontario, Canada, conducting both investigations and inquests, Dr. Mainville has been involved full-time in multiple aspects of the cannabis industry since early 2016. She is a member of the Special Operations Medical Association and one of only two Canadian members of the Western Trauma Association. She has a particular interest in the applications of medical cannabis in physical and psychological trauma, both long-term and acutely. And she particularly enjoys seeing patients with fibromyalgia smile. Dr. Mainville, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's a long career in the field of medicine. That is impressive. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it, it certainly has been enjoyable and rewarding along the way, but uh, those other things, it's somebody else's turn to do them now. Uh, 30 years was long enough for both of them. I, I, I understand. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Now, you work with um, Medigreen Canadian Cl- Cannabis Clinic and Apollo Applied Research. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Metagreen actually closed uh, a couple of months ago. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so uh, my main gig right now is with Apollo uh, Applied Research. Okay. So you've got decades of experience, education, and career in the field of medicine. What made you want to go into the cannabis industry with it? Well, um, I, I honestly thought I would be finishing my career in the emergency department. I was actually in the hospital in the town I, I was born in and grew up in. Okay. And uh, I thought I would end my career there. But uh, then uh, there were some political changes uh, in the department and uh, things going on that I just couldn't live with. And um, it finally got to a point that it's, uh, I, I had to say, it's like, I have to leave. So I, I don't, I'll wash dishes at McDonald's if I have to, but I have to get out of here. And uh, I didn't really want to wash dishes at McDonald's. So I got out the medical post and opened it up to the classified ads. And uh, right up at the top was an ad saying opening soon in Ottawa, at the cannabinoid medical clinic. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I had no clue at the time how interesting it would be. It, so that, so it was it so basically you had a plan a vision for your life and it involved i mean that's a pretty big it's a pretty big deal when when your plan for your life doesn't work out the way you imagined it and you're almost towards the end right i mean you make it sound very like hey this happened and i just kept going but i think that as we're going through that i mean i've had plans in my life fall through like at the very end or you could just see them starting to disintegrate and it's just kind of like what is going on so did you get that satisfaction since you've been in the cannabis industry? Have you been getting that that's that that fulfillment and satisfaction back from the world of medicine? This is so much better than it could have been if I'd stayed in the emergency department. So much better. And why is that? Um, I I think I have the best job in medicine right now. I get to give people their lives back. Um, and, uh, new patients, I get to give them hope. And, uh, when I'm seeing follow-ups, I'm, I, I, I'm just bombarded with thank yous. 
Um, the, one of the reasons I specifically mentioned uh, fibromyalgia in my little uh, bio, when I was in the emergency room, uh, we used to dread seeing the patients with fibromyalgia come in. They were so miserable. Um, there was nothing we could do for them and they wouldn't go away. <laughs> Now, uh, well, right now I'm working from home with the pandemic, but uh, when I was still in the office, the fibromyalgia patients would come in and they'd be smiling. And uh, it's just so much nicer that way. Um, I, I used to save lives in a way in the emergency department, but I'm quite sure I've saved more lives working with cannabis than I did in the ER. That's cool. That's very cool. So... Apollo Applied Research, and right now you are one of the lead physicians there, and you are working with symptoms and and uh, prescribing medical cannabis to citizens in Canada, and you've been doing it for the last five years. And how are you seeing? Because I mean, we're talking about a lot of stuff. I mean. Cannabis has recently been, I mean, was it 2016 in Canada that they went federal for the Canadian country that uh, it was going to be? Recreational has been legal since October, 2018. Okay. And medicinal was 16? Uh, Originally, actually 2001. Um, But initially uh, being allowed to use medical cannabis gave the patients the choice of either growing their own or sending into Health Canada uh, every month to get their monthly allotment of government approved medical cannabis, which was just a single strain. And uh, um, if that strain happened to suit them, that was fine. If it didn't suit them, their only alternative was to grow their own. Uh, We went to the licensed producer system in 2014. And then, um, and uh, with that legislation, they, um, they told people, no, you can't grow your own anymore. Uh, you have to buy the product from these licensed producers. And people were saying like, well, hey, you know, I can't afford this and they don't have much product. And so it was taken to the Supreme Court and. Uh... All right. So we had a little bit of uh, some extra background noise going on that I had to go take care of. So we had to pause for a moment, but we were talking about Barbara's work at Apollo Applied Research, working with cannabis and helping patients with cannabis. And the uh, uh, medicinal was legalized in Canada in 2001 and recreational was, you said 2018? Uh, Recreational 2018, we went to a licensed producer system in 2014 and um, uh, they allowed uh, growing in 2016. Previously, people were allowed to grow. In 2014, the legislation prohibited uh, growing their own. That went uh, to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, if they are allowed to uh, use medical cannabis, they have to be allowed the option of growing their own. So um, that's one aspect of the the industry I've been involved in as well, uh, is the growers. And uh, that's very interesting. So, um, yeah. Um, and then with, uh, uh, with recreational legalization, uh, that has certainly opened up the conversation considerably. So when you said the growers, and that was pretty interesting, what, what is it you're doing with the growers? Uh, to be allowed to grow uh, for, for personal use. Um, with the recreational legislation, uh, people are allowed to grow four plants per household uh, in all provinces except uh, Quebec and Manitoba. 
Um, if somebody wants to grow more than four plants, they need to have an actual license from Health Canada. And part of that application process for that grow license is a medical document from a physician, which is uh, one of the aspects of the, uh, the industry I've been involved in is talking to these growers and providing them with these medical uh, documents to accompany their application. Right on, right on. Now, four plants per household and how many, how much in terms of weight can you yield from an average plant, roughly? It is so variable. Um, the, the legislation is very, very imprecise. Uh, you know, what, what is a plant? Well, according to the legislation, a plant is anything with roots. And, uh, but there's so much variability. There's over 14,000 different cultivars of the cannabis plant. You can have a cannabis plant that's 12 feet tall and eight feet across. You can have Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And so uh, very, very imprecise. And uh, yeah, the yields, uh, there's a lot of variability from strain to strain grown optimally, but then uh, there's variability um, depending on somebody's grow ability. And if somebody's growing outside, uh, the weather becomes a big issue and uh, you can lose all your plants very quickly with say a bad hailstorm. Uh, inside, there's other ways you can destroy your plants inadvertently. And uh, so um, very, very imprecise. And um, the, the amount that's written on the medical document is more to allow people to grow to meet their needs as opposed to um, being a specific number. So uh, if somebody has a grow license for 10 grams a day, that doesn't mean they're going to be smoking 10 grams a day by any means. And once you get into the processing of the, the plant, um, making concentrates, making uh, topical products, um, using it raw. I have patients that juice raw cannabis and raw cannabis won't make you high. Uh, so, uh, but uh, the raw cannabis juice has a lot of anti-inflammatory uh, um, activity. And so uh, people can get really good results from, from juicing raw cannabis that requires a lot of plants. And so most growers will start with a smaller number, uh, five to 10 grams a day. And uh, then that gives them a frame of reference. Once they've found the plants that they like and they want to grow more of, um, they'll, uh, if they need 100% more than they're growing now, then uh, we know what we need to do. Uh, they, they might find that the, the plants they're, they're growing have such incredible yields that the, the number is, is completely fine for their purposes, um, but um, very, very, very imprecise um, science. Well, the science is precise, but the, uh, the legislation is not precise. And I think that's actually I think that's good for now, right? I, I actually kind of think it's good for now because when you said uh, it make to, to juice uh, cannabis, I actually, so I've, I've made can of butter before and uh, it does take a lot of plant material to, to infuse it into butter. I mean, I thought I was going to get a little bit more of an effect from it. It was nice, but it was, it was, it was, I thought it was going to be a little stronger. And I was like, wow, I guess I got to almost, I got to add at least maybe even double of what it was because it was that mild. So it does take a lot of plant material to do that stuff. And that's what I was asking because currently right now as a resident of Florida, I can't even grow anything. So that's kind of disappointing in the sunshine state. 
but I know, I know there are there are groups working to uh, change that. So, um, you see patients from all different walks of life. Yeah. And can you can you can you give us the like the like the volume a number of patients that you guys do see? Is it, is it, is it is it growing or is it shrinking? You know what I mean. I figured it would be growing as as the stigma gradually it's wears growing. off. Right. Yeah, it's growing. Um, there was a, a little pause for briefly when legalization occurred. Uh, people were saying, you know, why bother going the medical route when I can just go to the store and pick it up? And uh, then they, when legalize act, legalize act, legalize, legalization actually came in, uh, they realized that, my goodness, there's so many choices. I don't know what to do. I guess I do need to get guidance after all. And so there was a little blip right around that period. But since then, the, the industry is continue, continuing to grow, uh, including on the medical side. Well, that's cool. So um, so you're growing in patients. Your, your, your number of patients you're seeing is, is, is growing. And uh, are, you, are you observing... And outside of the office, like in your and just in your day to day life, are you observing the stigma starting to to come down a bit more? Is it or is the stigma still kind of strong in people's minds? Um, it's still strong, uh, but gradually we're chipping away at it. Uh, it it's much easier to tell something tell tell people something completely new than it is to tell them that something they've always believed is wrong. If somebody came down from the Himalayas tomorrow and said, I found this amazing plant and these are all the things it does and it works with the system of our body responsible for maintaining homeostasis, uh, people would be all over it. Uh, the fact that we already know what that plant is and it's called cannabis changes everything. And uh, so uh, my approach pretty much from the beginning is that the best way to break down the stigma is to have people out there doing well. And so that's been my goal all along is to do what I can to have my patients doing well so they can get out there and spread the word. That's cool. That's cool, Dr. Mainville. So the homeostasis that you're talking about, can you, can you tell us a little bit more detail about how cannabis and homeostasis in the human body complement? Um, well, homeostasis is, is when everything is in balance. Um, all the systems are running smoothly and um, the way they're supposed to be. Um, a state of homeostasis is a state of good health. And um, the, endo, uh, the endocannabinoid system is, um, the, is, is the system that cannabis is working with. So we all have our own internal endocannabinoid system. Endo means inside and the system was named after the plant. And um, the, uh, we make our own cannabis-like substances. One is very much like THC and there's another one that's similar in many ways to CBD. And um, there was actually a story in the news about two and a half years ago in March, 2018, 2019. Um, anyway, uh, a woman in Scotland. Recently, who feels recently just a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. I know. Yeah, pre-COVID, uh, pre-COVID. The, the, the COVID time <laughs> was just really messed it's everything up. different world then. Um, but uh, anyway, it's uh, this woman in Scotland who feels no pain. Um, she had a few children and yeah, childbirth was mildly enjoyable. So, what? <laughs> um, and I guess the doctors her at the time thought that was a little. She said her birthing experience was mildly enjoyable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
And so I guess the doctors at the time thought that was a little odd, but um, didn't think too, too much of it. Um, just thought she was really very fortunate. And, uh, but then um, years later, she actually fractured bones in her hand and uh, needed surgery to repair them. And they were able to do that entire repair without any anesthetic. And that really got people's attention. It's like, okay, there's something very unusual about this woman. And I don't know the exact path it took to discover this, but eventually what they were able to determine was that she actually has a genetic abnormality that blocks the breakdown of her natural THC-like substance. So she has a lot more of this stuff floating around than most people. Wow. She's essentially naturally high all the time. Wow. So apparently she's very cheerful and pleasant, very easy to get along with. She just kind of rolls with the punches, but she's functional. She does things that normal people do. She uh, finished school. She got married. She raised her family. I don't recall whether she works outside the home, but she certainly runs the household, uh, does the cooking, the shopping. She drives a car. She's just happier than most people. And it's like, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. So we make these substances naturally. They need some place to go to exert their activities. So we have receptors. And we have these receptors really pretty much everywhere in our body. The one place we don't have any particular number of them is the respiratory center in our brainstem, the part of our brain that tells us to breathe. And that's why cannabis doesn't kill people. If you have too much cannabis, you might take a nap when you weren't planning to. You will keep breathing. And cannabis has been cultivated as a crop for over 6,000 years. So it essentially has a 6,000 year safety record. And as far as I'm concerned, that does count. Uh, the other thing about the endocannabinoid system that's very interesting is that it is ancient. Insects don't have one, sea sponges don't have one, but every creature with a backbone that has ever been on this earth has or had an endocannabinoid system. They've also identified it in a number of invertebrates, worms with endocannabinoid systems. So looking back through the evolutionary tree, they've actually been able to calculate system originally developed some 600 million years ago, which I had to look up. It's like, okay, that was a really long time ago. What was here? And it seems the answer is not very much. So certainly some early insects had branched off. The sea sponges, which are some of the most primitive creatures on earth at this point had branched off. Other than that though, earth was round, mostly covered by water, a little bit past the primordial soup stage, but not very much, really not much in common at all with what we know today. My point being that the system did not develop and survive and evolve over these hundreds of millions of years and probably hundreds of millions of creatures just so people could party on weekends. So it's got a job to do and given the timeline, not a surprise that it's an important job. And when you look at the things that CBD can help with, cannabis in general, but uh, uh, CBD as well, um, with CBD, it's very obvious. Uh, it's all about bringing things back to normal. So um, the way CBD really got in, into the conversation in the first place was stories about children with seizures. So uh, the way it helps those kids is it stabilizes the nerve tissue. And it didn't get the memo that said it was just supposed to go to the brain and stop seizures. It goes ahead and stabilizes any nerve tissue it comes across. So very good for pain. It's caused by pinched nerves or damaged nerves. 
helps to stabilize the mood, just calm anxiety, lift depression, bring the mood back towards normal. Uh, they've even been finding that it helps to stabilize heart rhythms, the conducting tissue in our heart that tells our heart when it's supposed to be beating is nerve tissue. So by stabilizing that, it can help to regulate heart rhythm. So that's kind of a nice side benefit. Um, CBD has anti-inflammatory properties. And what's interesting about CBD and inflammation is that it only blocks the excess inflammation. Inflammation is actually the first step in our normal healing process. You don't want to mess with that. Um, a few years ago, some of the orthopedic surgeons were getting very concerned about the opioid crisis, rightly so. And so they had this wonderful idea that they would start fixing people's fractures and they would send them home with Tylenol and Advil. Well, these poor patients, not only was their pain miserably undertreated, the fractures actually didn't heal. The Advil was not only blocking the excess inflammation, it was interfering with that normal healing process. CBD, on the other hand, allows the normal healing. It's only the excess that it blocks. And it's primarily through that mechanism that the uh, athletes are using it. Um, it gives them much better muscle recovery because the muscles are actually able to heal. Um, not just, uh, they're not just blocking the inflammation, but they're uh, promoting the, the healing of the tissues. So um, there are more stories about athletes using CBD. Um, going back to the, uh, uh, the other thing CBD does, uh, it's actually our immune system that sends the inflammation in the first place. So not really a surprise that the CBD also has interesting effects on our immune system. It pushes the immune system towards normal. So if somebody has an underactive immune system, it boosts it up towards normal. Somebody has an overactive immune system in an autoimmune process like rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease or any number of a growing list of things, it calms it down and pushes it towards normal without overshooting and leaving the person susceptible to infection. So um, all these different actions are all about bringing things back to normal. And that really only makes sense if you know a little bit about the endocannabinoid system, the purpose of which is to keep us essentially normal. That is fascinating, Dr. Mainville. That was really good. That was, I mean, I learned stuff right there. <laughs> I learned stuff from that exchange right there. That was, so I did not know that about all the other animals and invertebrates and, and having endocannabinoid systems. That's pretty fascinating. And the homeostasis and, and the fact that it helps with homeostasis really says a lot about this natural plant and how it can help human beings. And I do believe it's it's here for us to use. I don't believe it is the devil's lettuce at all. I think it's I think it's a, a natural plant that has some that is here with purpose. That is here with purpose for us, and not just us, but creation in general. Yeah, and there's there's so many choices. There's so many different variables. Uh, we talk about CBD and THC. Um, they come, they're actually siblings. They come from the same parent molecule and they come from a very large family. Uh, they have about 140 or so other siblings. Most of those, those other substances, we really don't know very much about. Um, we know that they exist. We're starting to learn about a few of them, starting to be able to work with a few of them on a rather limited basis. Um, for the most part, they're a story to be continued though, keeping in mind that for a long time, we didn't think CBD did any, anything interesting. So you've got those in the background doing something probably, 
the plant has flavonoids, uh, about 25 or so flavonoids. They're what give the cannabis its color. Um, they're looking quite intriguing from a medical perspective. There's a group at Harvard that's working with one of them and uh, it's actually looking quite promising in the treatment of cancer of the pancreas. So that's interesting. Oh, excuse me. Um, and there's a group of healing of the pancreas, you said? Uh, treating cancer of the pancreas. Cancer of the pancreas. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and there's a group at the University of Guelph that's working with two other ones. Um, and they found that they're both about 30 times more potent than aspirin as anti-inflammatory pain relievers. And uh, so I suspect that uh, some of my juicing patients are getting uh, the benefit they are uh, to some degree because of those flavonoids, but we really don't know enough about them to be able to start working with them either. Um, and there's also about 200 terpenes, um, terpenes being the substances that give the cannabis its scent and its flavor, but also they do stuff to us. Not unique to cannabis, every plant on earth that has scent and flavor has it because of terpenes. So the whole aromatherapy essential oil thing that's so popular these days, that comes back to terpenes. And uh, so um, I usually tell my patients about a small handful of them, usually uh, depending what, what we're talking about, somewhere anywhere between two and about six uh, terpenes uh, will get people off to a good start in, uh, in the world of cannabis. But you've got all these different variables in the plant. And um, so being able to uh, guide the patient to the product that is most likely to benefit them is actually part of the challenges of, um, of this whole whole thing. I, I am thankful for doctors like you, Dr. Mainville. I am thankful for doctors like you. And I can't wait to see more of you here in the United States. That's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. So where do you, where do you, what do you, do you have a vision for what you want to do? with the rest of your career in cannabis and medicine? Or like, what do you, not like, like we started off with, uh, you had a vision for your life and and then in uh, concluding your career in your hometown at a medical facility there and that shifted and you have definitely gotten beyond up to speed in the world of cannabis and what's your vision look like now? Uh, I am convinced and have been for a while that learning about the endocannabinoid system and learning to work with the plant really is the future of medicine. And uh, I, it's going to take time. I, I, I'm quite sure we aren't going to have the endocannabinoid system figured out uh, in my lifetime, but uh, any steps we can take in that direction uh, are positive. And um, same with the plant. Uh, there's so much we don't understand about the, the plant, all those substances I just mentioned. And uh, with research, it's um, because medical cannabis is not, not one substance, it becomes very difficult to do research. Uh, I've been wanting to, to get some done, but uh, it is very awkward. And there's still political barriers to, to doing the research as well. Yeah. Uh, so my plan at the moment is to just keep chugging along, getting patients out there uh, that are doing well, but also in the background, doing some sort of backdoor lobbying. And uh, I do a lot of work with military veterans. And uh, one of my colleagues actually is a retired combat trauma surgeon who's now um, involved in the cannabis world. And his wife is actually still active mem uh, military. She's a 
um, a brigadier general in the Canadian Armed Forces. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, we've been doing some sort of backdoor lobbying. And I don't know um, how, I don't know whether that's been uh, effective, but uh, I know that um, the insurer that pays for medical cannabis for our veterans um, in Canada, any veteran of the, uh, the Canadian Armed Forces and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police um, can have up to three grams a day of, of can medical cannabis covered by Veterans Affairs. Great. And uh, um, there, uh, it used to be that when somebody was no longer deployable, uh, they got the golden handshake. Thank you very much uh, for your service. Have a nice life. Bye bye. And uh, now they're, they're realizing they're running out of soldiers and it's like, okay, we have to try and do something to keep these people functional. And so when somebody's no longer deployable, they might still be considered potentially employable. And so they keep them in this limbo um, status for, it seems three or four years while they do all sorts of different treatments and therapies and, and do what they can to try and make them functional. And uh, until very, very recently, uh, these people had, they, cannabis was not completely off limits to them, but it was very awkward for them to try to access. And um, as of about mid 2021, Veterans Affairs um, now is actually covering uh, up to three grams a day of cannabis for the this group that's in limbo. And uh, uh, I'd like to think that that might have something to oh, do. But I uh, realize that the, the veterans use cannabis are costing them less money. We had a small, we had a small uh, hitch there. You said uh, you'd like to think that maybe some of this uh, uh, manifestation of forward moving policy and laws for cannabis in, in uh, Canada was as a result maybe of some of this work you've been doing. And then it, then we had the little hitch right there. I apologize, there's a little hitch. Oh, um, I, I suspect that the, uh, the insurance company, Blue Cross, just realized that the veterans using medical cannabis were costing, are costing them a lot less money. And, uh, insurance companies, it's all about the bottom line and uh, anything that saves some money uh, gets their attention. And uh, I, I suspect that that's the route that uh, that it took more than anything that, uh, that my colleague and I may have contributed to it. But uh, really, really nice to see. And uh, hopefully we'll, we will be able to actually uh, allow some of these guys to um, have longer careers and be functional. And when they do finally make their transition to civilian life, um, it'll be at a much more normal time, um, a much more normal age. And it will be uh, from a much uh, better position. Right now, uh, when the veterans are discharged from the military, very, very often they're doing it from a very, very bad place. And uh, when you consider the magnitude of the transition that they're making, they're not just losing their job. If they've been living on base, they're losing their home. Uh, they're losing um, the support system around them. Uh, very often they've already lost their family, um, depending on what's going on. And when you consider all these factors, it's really not a surprise that veteran suicide rates are, are what they are. If we can have these guys making this transition from uh, a healthier place, uh, I think that'll go a long way in preventing the, the uh, veteran suicides.
You know, uh, I retired from a military branch in the United States, and uh, it is an interesting it is an interesting thing when you retire. I knew I know people that have had their families fall apart as soon as they retired, divorce, just all kinds of crazy things. As soon as they take that uniform off, what looked like a sound individual with a sound household just falls apart and these people are trying to transition through a career change but also just a life change too and it is a little weird i gotta tell you it's a little weird having going like still going through it a little bit myself i i my i retired in uh march of this year and uh one thing and it's not just the military that does it organizations all over the place do it they really want your identity they really want you to identify with that organization or that entity as you. And I get that. They want dedicated people. So you really want to have people on the team and, and buying in. The problem when, here's where I see the problem, is that when the, mili- when the military is done with somebody or when somebody thinks they're done with the military, actually, we'll take the first part. When the military is done with somebody, they don't give you your identity back. You get what I'm saying? It's like they all these years and decades of your identity melding into an idea of an organization. And then when you're done with it, that person is really trying to, many of them try to figure out who they are when that uniform comes off. Because the uniform really does kind of give them a physical manifestation with their eyeballs of who they are and uh that's something that's really unique and that's that's interesting and uh, something that i see a lot more across businesses and just just entities and organizations they want people to they want your identity when they when you think of yourself they want that to be part of their your identity but like I said, it's, it's getting it back is, is part of the problem. And I think that's why a lot of veterans struggle because they remember the camaraderie. And this is on top of the physical things, whatever physical things that, that people have con- encountered. They remember the camaraderie. They remember the togetherness. You know, the camaraderie sounds kind of like it can be kind of, you know, oh, that's kind of sounds kind of nice. But when you're actually, when there is actual true camaraderie there, you feel it and it feels pretty good. You know what I mean? It's in a tremendous feeling. And when that thing goes away, it's kind of like, huh. And this is where I think some of the veterans who choose when they go out, when they're, when they're going to leave, I think they still deal with that. But in their minds, they're a little bit more prepared to deal with it. But it's still something they're going to have to deal with. And that is, it is interesting because it's, it's service to a nation and all the citizens in that nation. And how these people come out of that matters i think that's important work what you're doing with the veterans for sure because i heard you say that canada's running out of soldiers or at least that's what the headlines say that that we're running out of soldiers and um i think uh that's that's critical that's critical and uh i had a i had a guest on at the beginning of when i first started he's like a number the third guest i had on the show he's a retired officer for the u.s army and he is a large advocate for getting veterans in the United States access to cannabis via the Veterans Affairs Office. So I think, you know, all that work matters. You know what I mean? Elected officials can't ignore it forever. 
they, they have to look at professionals like you and the results that you're having with your patients of all demographics and say, how can we continue to imprison people for this point? And that's cool that Canada has done that. I'm looking forward to the day when it makes a full swing down here in the United States because because it's important, you know, and it is very important. And I'm surprised the baby boomers haven't really, you know, only only the main, only the celebrity baby boomers seem to be the only ones I seem to be like noticing, you know, baby boomers that I know just around, like just that I just know, you know, there's still that kind of like, oh, I don't know. That's what we did back then in the in the 60s. We're in 2021, and I don't know if that's cool or not, or I, I, you know, I don't know. You know, it's, it's just that I just thought there'd be a much bigger lift of support from the baby boomer generation with cannabis legalization. And maybe I'm just not seeing it. Maybe there really is, and maybe I just don't see it or hear about it in the headlines or on. And you know, what do you think about that, Dr. Mainville? Um, certainly, the boomers. Uh, when you look at the demographics of of cannabis use in Canada, uh, boomers are picking it up. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, certainly, a lot of um, a lot of medical cannabis patients uh, are are boomers and beyond. Okay. And uh, uh, just to just to tell you a little story, uh, when I decided to go into this field of medicine, uh, I I knew I had to tell my mom. Uh, my mom was born in 1932. She would have been 83 at the time, and I'd never used cannabis when I was younger. I we never had a reason to have a conversation about cannabis. I had absolutely no idea how she would react, but I knew I had to tell her and she was calm. And uh, she said, you know, when I was a young girl and was in the 1940s, she was actually a teenager at the time. She said, I used to go and visit my grandmother and my grandmother had asthma. And sometimes I would go over and she'd be sitting at the table and there was a a bowl on this table and there was something burning in this bowl and she'd be leaned over it with a towel over her head. And it was something that her doctor told her to use to help her with her asthma. And it did, it helped with her asthma. Uh, Grandma would do this treatment and uh, then she'd get on with her day. And uh, if she needed, if she ran out, she would go to the drugstore to, to buy more of it. And it was only many, many, many years later that my mom smelled marijuana and realized that the sweet smell she associated with grandma's house was actually cannabis. Oh, that's um, cool. I think that's a cool story. <laughs> that's cool. But uh, my mother saw firsthand uh, that cannabis can be used effectively. And, you know, grandma didn't spend the rest of the day sleeping or sitting in the corner giggling. Grandma used this treatment and got on with her day. And uh, so, um, but there's, uh, there's so many different types of cannabis out there. There's different plants, there's different product formats like oils and sprays, soft gels, tinctures, uh, sublingual strips, uh, um, transdermal patches. Uh, there's, there's all these different formats uh, in addition to the dried bud. And so um, actually matching the person up with the product that's most appropriate for them uh, becomes very important. And, and speaking about cannabis with the realization that there are all these different options is important as well. Dr. Mainville, this is good. This is good. You are the first doctor on the show and I am, I'm enjoying it. I'm learning as you're talking and it's cool. So your vision is to continue to help people with pain 
and, and help them to see if, if cannabis can alleviate that pain or remove it or just improve the quality of life of people. And that is something that I think is critical for, for medical professionals. And I think that what you're doing is amazing. I think that you care for people is, you know, that I, people go into medicine because they want to care for people. They want to help people, you know? And, and after decades of doing it, you had a disruption and it didn't make you, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make you not, it didn't make you want to stop doing that, right? You wanted to continue to care for people, even though your personal plan and vision for your life was disrupted significantly. And I find that amazing about people, period. It's like when, when adversity hits and it usually, whether, and when it comes in a, a life plan, you know, and if your life plan is clicking along, you're kind of like, you're hitting these benchmarks. You're like, wow, this is going in the direction. And then you start to get to that point and things start to fall apart around you. That can be incredibly, that can be incredibly uh, frightening and it can definitely make you angry. I'm not saying this is to you. I'm just saying that's human reaction, right? And uh, so my next question is, did you lean on any type of belief system when you hit that actually let's start off with this did you grow up with a belief system in your home about whether it's a religion philosophy or worldview i i was raised in the united state united church of canada went to sunday school every week and uh, um you know went to church services and uh, uh i over time i I became disillusioned with organized religion. Uh, the community I grew up in, grew up in uh, was uh, primarily French Canadian Catholic, and uh, the the hypocrisy that uh, often surfaces. It's like I go to church on Sundays, I do my confession. That makes me a good person. During the week, I can do whatever I want to other people, and uh, God will forgive me. And uh, I, I got I, I got disillusioned sort of gradually. There was no big event uh, that came along, but uh, just gradually became disillusioned with organized religion. And uh, I do believe that uh, for for some people, organized religion does offer them something positive. I'm not completely against all organized religion. Um, it uh, often provides people with a sense of community that can be very helpful and some uh, some moral guidance. Um, I I disagree with um, a religion making choices for people. Uh, or uh, when religion starts limiting people, uh, that uh, I don't agree with that. And certainly religious wars have got to be the stupidest thing that ever existed. I just, they drive me crazy. Um, if I spend too much time thinking about them. Um, but uh, um, so I, I, I've drifted away from the church, but uh, I think somebody, I think a person can be, I think a person should strive to be a good person um, before striving to be a good, whatever religious label you want to apply. Okay, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So um, grew up with, uh, you said the National Church of Canada? United. United Church of Canada. And you would say, 
so you you came disillusioned. Do you what do you how do you view the world now? Do you view it as a there's a there's a there's a power of some sort or or we're still learning about this life and all it means or um yeah uh, i i've had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling uh including uh fairly extensive traveling in the middle east and what has become obvious is that uh people are not all that different uh very basically uh people want the same thing they they want um a, a clothes on the clothes on their back they want food on their table they want a roof over their head ideally they want uh, an education for their children um, and, uh, you know, basically human beings are not all that different from each other. Um, and, uh, religions aren't all that different from each other. I, I, uh, personally believe there's something out there that's bigger than we are. I have no idea what it is. Uh, I, I'm not sure what to call it. We can call it God for, uh, uh, just to make things easy. Uh, but you know, what is God? Uh, I, I have no clue. Uh, but I do believe there's something, um, out there that's bigger than we are. And, uh, at times you do have to take leaps of faith, uh, that things will work out. And, uh, um, certainly so far for me, they seem to be <laughs> so. Hey, I think I think I think what you've done is the, the pivot you made at that point is is amazing. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so let's. This is a perfect time to ask this question because I think I might have an idea of what you might what your might answer might be. But sometimes I'm really surprised when 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 I when I do get the answer from the guest. So this universe and all the life in it. Is it the result of a series of accidents or is it, do you think that there's a possibility of an intelligent designer behind it? Um, I would say there's the possibility of a, a superior design. Um, probably one of the ways you, I might describe my views on religion. Uh, uh, years ago, there was a, a joke circulating. Um, I, I forget the details of it. I'm not the best joke teller, but uh, something along the lines of this guy's on the roof of his house in the middle of a flood, the, the water's rising and he's stuck on the roof of his house. And um, then a, a life jacket floats past and he just lets it go past. It's like, no, God's going to save me. Uh, then somebody comes along with a rowboat, get in, we'll save you. It's like, no, no, God's going to save me. Uh, a helicopter comes to rescue him. It's like, no, 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 I'm okay. God's going to save me. And the guy ends up drowning and he gets to the pearly gates and God says, you know, why are you here? Or well, no, actually the, the guy says, you know, God, what, I thought you were going to save me. And it's like, what do you mean? I sent you a life jacket. I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a helicopter. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, certainly things happen. Um, are they strictly coincidence? Are they part of a bigger plan? I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard that story you're talking about, the one with the, the life jacket, the, the boat and the helicopter. I've heard that before too. And you know what? I, I have actually fallen into that. I've actually, and then I was kind of like, wait a minute, why am I, why am I, why am I, I'm 
picturing in my mind that God can only act in this one way and this one way only, that anything else that might help with that is just not right because it just doesn't line up with my imagination of it or the way my vision for it. And that, that, that was a, <clears throat> that was a, that was a hang up for my wife and I, not between us, but as a together, as we're having kids, it was like, huh. And one thing that, that really helped us remember a lot of things about how we're loved, that how we believe we're loved by our maker on this earth is that he works through people for sure. And that includes all people, whether it's just a word, a smile, or medical care, a medical professional giving care to improve someone's life because there's an injury, there's a disease or something, or there's just complete discomfort. All those things, you know, he can work through us for sure. We, we can be the hands and feet, his hands and feet on this earth. And, and that's, where, that's where that story really, really, I think, points to, is that the help you are praying for and asking for may not come in the way you imagine it. It may come in something that you would never imagine, but it's still coming. <laughs> okay. You know, was it by design that I ended up where I am now? Um, I, uh, I look back at my time at the hospital and uh, really for my own mental health, I should have left about two years earlier. Uh, but what would I have done? Uh, cannabis was, would not have been an option if I had left at that time. And uh, the time when I did decide I had to leave was just when this other opportunity was opening up. And it, it certainly feels like it was meant to be. I know. I, sometimes I tell you, sometimes, like before, even before I, I even before I uh, accepted Christ as wanting to be wanting to love me the way I didn't think he wanted to love me I thought he wanted to just you know I was just basically an authority figure waiting to whack me on the head whenever I messed up right and that is what I think a lot of people have a picture of so even before I got past that in other words in other, even before I realized that he's not waiting to thump me on the head he's actually I'm I'm, I'm actually consenting him for him to to love me and uh, so before that there were times in my life where I'm like wow that happened and there's all kinds of ways that it should not have happened and i'm just talking like simple stuff whether it's like you know you apply for something or you you you're anything right you, you got a plan you got a vision you're, you're going after something and uh it lines up and it's sometimes kind of like it, it lines up right after a rejection sometimes and that and that 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 is that's that's uh it's kind of amazing to me. I, I I definitely understand some of those moments that you're talking about when you're like, wow, the timing of that would not have worked a year earlier, maybe perhaps a year later, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But it's amazing to think about it. So I'm glad to see the door still open with you, Dr. Mainville. I'm glad to see that. Oh, you know, I'm glad to hear that. That's great. Because um, I do think that whether you realize it or not, I definitely think that God is using you to help people. Oh, very, very much so. And I think it's very cool that it's with cannabis and, and you do have a great smile. I can see Dr. Mainville smile right now. And you know what? I'd sign up to be one of your patients right now <laughs> if I could, because it's amazing. It, it is really amazing this time that we're living in. And 
and how people have really jumped in, like, like jumped in, walked in, ran in, walked, however, and they really do want to help people. They really do. They, they believe that there are better ways to help people than synthetic pills. And I'm not saying I'm not, not against them because I have family and friends that, that have bad days. They don't take their medication on a daily basis. Bad things happen to them, including death. And, uh, so it's, it's not a, I think medical doctors are here to help people. And I, and I look forward to the day that when research opens up fully, that'll even be even better. Yeah, I, I certainly intend to do what I can to help lead things in that direction. And I'd say you have, absolutely. You definitely have. Um, I got to ask you, because as I was, as we're getting ready for today, have you, have you ever thought about writing any, any literature or books or any memoirs or anything, Dr. Mainville? Because it is quite a story coupled with your training and career experience to where you are now. That's a pretty amazing story. And it's one that I think more people should hear about because we can change. We don't have to stay the same. We can move past hurts. We can celebrate victories and we can help and love one another. So have you thought about doing anything like that? Authoring, co-authoring, anything like that? Whether it's like specific medical, uh, medical help with cannabis, like specific ailment or injury or a, uh, an umbrella of ailments or whether it's just a memoir because it's a pretty impressive story you got there. Well, thank you. Uh, you're not the first person to suggest that I write a book. Um, I, I briefly thought about it in passing, but uh, I've just been kind of too busy doing other things. And so I have drafted a, uh, a paper that um, my colleague, the, the one who's the retired trauma surgeon, um, he, uh, he co-authored it with me and it's making the case for research using medical cannabis in the intensive care unit. And um, the first journal we submitted it to uh, decided it wasn't what they were looking for. And uh, so uh, I am thinking of uh, reworking it and uh, sending it to a different journal, but uh, um, at the moment, I've just been uh, using what I learned from all the research that went into putting that original paper together to, um, to benefit my patients. And uh, perhaps with winter approaching, uh, winter in Eastern Ontario is, um, uh, oh. makes you want to hibernate. <laughs> oh, I grew up in Michigan and mid-Michigan and it's cold. <laughs> it's very cold. So uh, certainly for the summer, I've been busy doing other things. Uh, um, I certainly uh, have not ruled out going back to it and uh, reworking it and submitting it to a different journal. And because uh, I think there are a lot of potential ways that cannabis could be, um, be useful in uh, the early management of major trauma. Um, 
I don't know whether it's gone anywhere, uh, but uh, we have had some discussions with burn specialists about perhaps developing a burn dressing, a cannabis-based burn dressing. And uh, I think that would be actually pretty neat. Uh, and um, so uh, I, I try and plant the seeds. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think that the, the medical side for sure, I think, I, th I keep thinking that that a memoir or a partial a memoir of some, some sort, some type, whether you want to call it a partial autobiography, memoir, your story, part of your, at least a part of your story. I'm not saying you have to go back down the lineage of your ancestry, but somewhere where we get to hear about Dr. Barbara Mainville, how she came up in life, her plan for her life, and then how it changed and where she, and how she came to be in the cannabis industry and how, and, and that, it's that that's critical because a lot of people have dreams and when they run into some resistance they kind of sometimes wonder if they should keep going and stop and i think that'll well, you know what i mean and like you ran i mean I, i'm thinking about like this was the end of you you were planning the the end of your career in medicine that's a pretty big deal to me because i mean i've had plans not at the end of my career but in the middle of of uh, what was my military career fall apart and when that stuff falls apart and it looked like you were tracking in the right your trajectory is going in the right direction and you're getting there then it all falls apart you got you got choices on where you don't want to go but there's two directions you can well actually there's three i'd say you can go you can get negative and and become make yourself miserable you can remain idle too long or you can choose to move forward one step at a time. And I find it really inspiring and motivating when people choose to take one step at a time in a direction that is actually helping people. And that, that it's an amazing thing. And here's the thing. I find that many people in the cannabis industry are doing that for those reasons. Not everybody, but the people that I'm talking to on this, on this program are very, are, are, I'm going to say this like this. They're very much like you in the sense that when their lives, when they had some type of significant event happen in their lives and their plans changed, helping people was still at the core of their decisions and how they're going to carry, conduct themselves in this life and what they're going to do. And I think that's pretty amazing. I think that, that, uh, I think that that is explainable. And I had to explain it like this. Real briefly, Dr. Mainville, I would explain it like this. We are all made with our image or with our maker's image on our face. And we each have a fingerprint that nobody else has. Now, if there were, if there were people, if twins were born with the same fingerprints, be a little weird. But even twins don't have the same fingerprints. And that kind of these, these little, these kind of little clues along with with uh, the complexity of life and how if it's just a, a smidge in one direction or another, it really just doesn't work. It, it, it makes me believe in creationism and, a, and a, an intelligent designer. So I am glad, of course, Dr. Mainville, to see that the door is still open for that possibility in your life. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And uh, I think it's really amazing with what you've done in your life and how you've pivoted into cannabis and found the value in it. Not only just found the value in it, but found the joy of 
how people are responding to it from to, to, from it as well. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's been my pleasure. You're right on. So, um, I want to ask you if there's anything you want to leave with our listeners before we sign off. And I know it's kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but I know that. I, I just think you do. If you don't, that's okay too. But if there's something you want to say to everybody. Um, be kind. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, um, certainly if you find yourself with a, a pile of pharmaceuticals or a pile of uh, perhaps non-prescribed uh, substances, um, cannabis can be a, a, a good alternative. But uh, do get guidance. Uh, the, um, the wrong cannabis is, is worse than no cannabis, uh, but the, the right cannabis can change your, work, change your life. Literally, literally. This is Dr. Barbara Mainville, Ontario, Canada. Oh, wait, Ontario or Ottawa? Where are you? You're in Ontario now, correct? I, I'm in Eastern Ontario. Yeah, the, I was working at a clinic in Ottawa, but now I'm working from home down closer to the St. Lawrence. Okay. And applied, Apollo applied research. Yes. Right on. And, you know, I would, I would like to do this again with you, Barbara. Maybe perhaps when we, when uh, now we've gotten to, to know a bit more about you and, and talk about some of the things, some of the the uh maybe in the future if you're up for it if you're up for it some of the uh maybe maybe with you and maybe sherry bennett too i don't know we'll see and uh maybe we'll do something where we do uh like targeted targeted ailments and how cannabis can help targeted ailments something like that just a, just an idea because like i said you're the first doctor i've had on the program dr mainville and thank you very much because i learned while you were talking I did. I've, I mean, I've read books and I've read literature. I've read some some reports and, and papers and stuff, but you you know you just can't know everything all the time. So having our conversation with you was definitely enlightening for me. I definitely learned, and I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I'm inspired that there are doctors and medical professionals out there that see things similar or the same way that you do with this plant. And I know they're out there. I know they exist. And and uh, Thank you for everything you're doing. Well, you're most welcome, and thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Dr. Mainville. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres. I'm your host, and our special guest today is Ontario, Canada's Dr. Barbara Mainville. Thank you all. Love you all very much.